Okay, well, well, as we've gone through this series, we, I hope, are coming to realize that the story of Jonah is not really about a guy and a big fish. It doesn't, the story doesn't end with his escape onto the, the beach. That'd have been a nice happy ending. And nor does the story end when Jonah obeys God the second time and goes to Nineveh and preaches in Nineveh and, and the people turn to him in great numbers. All the people listen to it and re- listen to him and repent. Hey, that would have been a happy ending as well. But it's not happy as far as Jonah is concerned. As we see in chapter 4 in that passage that Miriam read. Not happy. He's spitting. He's furious. Imagine, imagine a concert pianist giving a recital, let's say in the, the Albert Hall or something grand, finishes the recital and, and the, the audiences have been spellbound and they, they stand for a standing ovation and, and clap and cheer. And the, the pianist goes all angry at them for doing that. Or imagine a young lawyer winning uh, his or her first or second case in court and when the, the, when the judge announces the verdict, the lawyer says, how dare you, how dare you let me win? That's terrible. Or imagine um, somebody getting the telephone call that announces to them that they've won a prize and yelling obscenities down the phone. I've won 10,000 pounds. Or imagine the evangelist that uh, having preached his or her heart out at the meeting and at the appeal at the end, people begin to stream forward to come to faith. And the evangelist is furious at them. Get back to your seats, you miserable bunch. But none of these scenarios really make sense. And yet that's, that's Jonah. That's what he's doing here. He's furious that the people of Nineveh have listened to him. And in case that we've forgotten that, it tells us again in verse 2, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew it. And that's what you've gone and done to the Ninevites. And happy. You're kidding. Verse 3, I would rather die, he says. Why? Why is there that bizarre response? Well, God might well be acting consistent with His nature, verse 2, that He's gracious and compassionate, but that's not how Jonah wanted to act, God to be acting towards the Ninevites. He couldn't cope with God cheapening His mercy by offering it to the likes of them. Having tasted God's love, Jonah could not bear to think of that being extended to others. Blinded by his own jealousy, he wants to restrict God's blessing to himself and to people like him. And the thing is, when we um, behave like that, or when we think that way, we're giving it away that we've not really understood the love of God in the first place. We do not receive the love of God because we're deserving we receive the love of God despite being undeserving. And if that's so, 
we cannot decide that God's love should not be shown to other people because, well, they don't deserve it. So what about ex-offenders or people still with habits that we disapprove of, folk who've not got all their ideas sorted out, folk who are not dependable like us, folks who have been selfish, who, who are too judgmental, folks whose politics are different, whose accent puts us off, who've taunted us in our school days, who promised us one thing and then did something else, people who, well, any of number of reasons professing Christians find to say, not them. But if we think like that, we're effectively saying, not us, because God loves the undeserving. So, Jonah is really angry because God has acted compassionately towards them. He thinks that's a cheapening of mercy. We don't deserve it. But also, secondly, Nineveh was an enemy. Nineveh was a threat to uh, Jonah's people. Uh, Nineveh was the capital in Syria. It was, it was a big, strong city. And, well, they might come and try and conquer Israel. They were big enough, good enough, strong enough. It would be safer for Israel if Nineveh was just exterminated, as God had said he was inclined to do. If God did that, then Israel would be in a better and in a stronger position. You see what's happening here? This time, Jonah is willing to risk his relationship with the Lord in order to hang on to his national security and well-being. The will of God and the political fortunes of Israel seem to be diverging at this point, and Jonah chooses the security of Israel over loyalty to God. And when we as Christian believers care more about our own interests, the well-being and security, and that usually means financial security. When we care more about our own interests, the well-being and security of our families over loyalty to God or over to commitment to God's mission in the world, then we're sinning just as Jonah's sinning here. If our identity is more rooted in our race, our nationality, our economic status, our leisure activities, our job, or anything else other than being sinners saved by grace, then we sin, just as Jonah is sinning here. He's angry, but he has no business being angry. And so, in verses 5 to 11, God teaches Jonah a lesson. He's Jonah sitting outside the city, looking, waiting to see if it's going to be destroyed, and he's made a shelter, but God helps him by providing a leafy plant, verse 6, and Jonah thinks, this is the business, at last something's going right for me. He said quite a lot in the story that's not gone right, so this leafy plant giving him shelter and shade, yes, great, but it doesn't last. The plant is destroyed, and in the next days, heat and wind, Jonah is back wishing that he could be dead, verse 8. He's still angry, and he still believes that he's every right to be angry. And the Lord's response was to reflect on that anger with Jonah. Jonah's furious about the destruction of a plant. But hold on, what did that plant really mean to Jonah? He couldn't have been that fond of the plant. It was there one day and, and gone the next. His concern for it was not 
the devotion that a gardener might feel towards something that he or she has tended and nurtured, he hadn't done anything for the plant's well-being. How would a gardener feel if she or he had carefully nurtured the plant, fed it, watered it, watched it grow, only to see it die in its prime? That, says the Lord, is how he feels about the Ninevites. The Lord made them. The Lord cherished them. Nineveh has involved all kinds of effort on the Lord's part, and the Lord cares for them and cares about them. They have not had the spiritual advantages of Israel, but their response to the Word of God is far, far better than the prophets. And again, like Jonah, we've come to love things because they suit us. Things that are provided, we regard as some kind of entitlement. We measure things by how useful they are to us that serve our comfort and our needs. But a sovereign almighty God has no needs like that. He doesn't love because something is useful to Him. He loves because He chooses to love. That is who He is. That is what He's like. And that's what He calls us to be like. They should be showing mercy towards, or Jonah should be feeling mercy towards these people, verse 11, who do not tell, cannot tell their right hand from their left. Now, God's not saying there that their Ninevites are stupid. He's just saying that they're spiritually blind. They've lost their way. They've no idea about the root of their trouble or how to sort that trouble out. And the Lord is not saying to such as we might, well, serves them right. They made their bed, let them lie in it. Rather, He feels for them. And much as, we, much as we see in the life of Jesus, weeping over the city of Jerusalem, asking from the cross for His crucifiers and mockers to be forgiven, God feels. And Jesus is the prophet that Jonah should have been. Well, of course, Jesus is more than that, but He's certainly not less than that. Jonah went outside the city to see, hoping to see its condemnation. Jesus was crucified outside the city for its salvation. So, Jonah's angry, verses 1 to 4. God takes him through that anger, verses 5 to 11, trying to show him that he's no right to be angry like that. There's no basis for it. And the book ends with a question mark. It ends open-endedly. God had been pursuing Jonah, wanting Jonah to recognize the ways in which he denied the grace of God, wanting Jonah to see that the ways which he held on to his own self-righteousness so that he could let these things go. And we're not told if Jonah understood or if Jonah accepted the message and the lessons that God was teaching him. And I think that's deliberate. The book ends this way so that we might provide our conclusion. But providing our conclusion, not in terms of what do you think about Jonah, but what do you think about yourself? The book invites us to write out the final paragraphs and chapters. 
It asks us whether we, like Jonah, want to cling to a way of religion even when we see that it's not based on the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It asks us about whether we still think that in some sense we are deserving, or at least more deserving than others, of God's mercy. It asks us if we are angry at, if we are frustrated with, if we are disappointed in God when things do not work out for our comfort, even at the time there are millions more in the world suffering in far, far greater ways. The story asks us whether we, like Jonah, swing between prayer and perversity, seeming to follow and then messing up again, seeming to get our lives into line with God's will, only to deny Him later on. The story asks us whether we want a God who's going to be all in favor of our personal interests, or a God who is the lover of all creation and Lord of all the world. And just as the big fish back in chapter 2 coughed up Jonah onto the beach, so too we must eject from within us the Jonahs of prejudice and shame. We should remember too Jesus' words about you don't just clean out the bad stuff and not put anything in its place. And so we should be coughing up that Jonah's of prejudice and shame and replacing them with the mercy and the grace that we learn from God. There is a Jonah lurking in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive interest and care. But these things do not properly belong in the lives of God's people. The character of Jonah is set out so that we can see what these things make us, how these things make us look. And it's not pretty, is it? Do we really think that we can live that way and please and serve the Lord? Do do we really think that... These are the ways to bring glory to God and delight His heart. No, they're not, are they? So, as the story invites us to do in its open-ended conclusion, let us search ourselves. Let us see what bits of Jonah are lurking in our hearts and in our minds, what we can do to rid them that we might better show and share the love and mercy and compassion of God in a world that's undeserving, just like you and I are undeserving. Let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, you didn't blitz the Ninevites. And in your mercy, you didn't blitz Jonah. In your mercy, you offer us alternatives to being blitzed too. You offer us the way of salvation. You offer us the mercy and the grace and the peace and the joy of God. 
Help us to know and realize and accept that we cannot have these and hang on to our self-righteousness, to our empty ways and traditions, to our exclusive attitudes. And just as you dealt lovingly and tenderly with the sailors back in chapter 1, with the Ninevites in chapter 3, and with Jonah in chapter 4, help us to know the tenderness of your church, your touch, changing and reshaping our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.